0: I'll turn the call over to you to provide an update on our latest news on the COVID nineteen pandemic.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Kimberly. And as always, my friend, can you give me a a vocal thumbs up? Yes, yeah, I can hear you. Perfect. Perfect. So, I, if you guys have time this afternoon, please by all means join that call um, at two p.m. You know, we want to emphasize with these community calls. Uh, you know, we we recognize we have a strong showing of weekly community leaders who gather to this, and that's great. Uh, And hopefully you recognize through these calls, we want to direct you to other great things that are happening so you can continue learning more and more. And today, to be able to uh, listen to a variety of Baltimore City leaders talking to Dr. Anthony Fauci, I think would be great, Will be amazing. So by all means, if your afternoon looks clear, go for it. Now, with that said, while Dr. Anthony Fauci has established himself with some great uh, uh, COVID-19 conversations and and spotlight, keep in mind, your call today is you have Dr. Jackie Jennings, who I think is a reasonable rival to Dr. Fauci in regards to an amazing person for public health um, overall. So you guys are in for a treat after my updates. With that said, let's do that. Let's go ahead and dive into the updates and discuss where we are at right now with COVID-19. And again, the reason for these updates is to keep us grounded and remind us that we are in this pandemic. But at the same time, I want you guys to feel reminded that we are here in order to promote health and prevent disease that continues to occur with the ability to understand that stopping the spread of this virus is in our hands. Prior to this, the, uh, this call this morning, I was one with a few schools and I want to make a point of two students, uh, one in sixth grade, another one in third grade. Uh, no, I lied, seventh grade. So one in sixth and one in seventh grade. And the seventh grader goes, "Is a virus like a plant?" And I said, "Please tell me what you mean by that." Because well, if you stop watering a plant, it dies. If if a virus stops going from one person to another, will it die as well? I was like, "Yeah, that's it. Viruses need an animal to reside in to complete its biology, so we can replicate more and more. And if a virus can't do that," It dies off, and so that was, you know, when that child's uh, uh, concept struck and was reaffirmed. Ah, oh, the excitement on his face. And then someone else asked, "When will this pandemic end?" And I said, "You know, but the pace of the vaccines, might be a while. But keep in mind, we can always end this in four weeks with 95% compliance with physical distancing and face masks. The virus can't spread. It does go away. So I say this because you all." You are amazing community leaders on these calls. You are our front line because you can promote health and prevent disease. I and my fellow other colleagues of nursing and physicians we're your last line of defense. If you're coming to us with COVID-19, clearly it's a different conversation. So I'm going to give you guys updates on numbers, and then I'm going to give you guys a brief update on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and then we'll go ahead and go to our Dr. Jackie Jennings. And I already told you. To me, she rivals Dr. Anthony Fauci in regards to public health, and, uh, you know, hopefully she's okay with that recognition. Uh, She's very humble, so hopefully she's not uh, embarrassed by that comment. All right, with that said, where are we in the world? We are at 98,263,934 cases of COVID-19 since its uh, identification back in November 2019. Mortality-wise, we are at 2,104,190, 109 lives lost, giving us a mortality rate at the moment of 2.1%. Here in the U.S., 25,211,649 cases, with 420,719 deaths. We crossed that 400,000 mark earlier this week. We are at a mortality rate here in the U.S. of 1.7%. And in the state of Maryland, 336,915 cases with loss of lives at 6,617, giving us a mortality rate of 2%. Now, earlier this week, I uh, had the honor of meeting with a few um, individuals from uh, Johnson & Johnson where they were discussing their vaccine. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine recently published its Phase 1 and Phase 2 data, uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, a premier medical journal. And that's great, because if we have published data for Phase 1 Phase 2, the next question is going to be, well, when can we review some of Phase three's data, right? Because for Phase 3 data to be submitted to the FDA for emergency use, we just need that interim data analysis that usually happens at the three-month mark. And they gave me the impression that maybe this month, early February. Which is great. Again, if we submit it and we review it and we approve it, then we have a third vaccine available. And the kicker here practical from a practical standpoint, it's a one-shot vaccine. So what is the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? Because when we get asked these questions, what's the difference between fires or Moderna? You know, we usually say it's like Chevrolet or Ford or Burger King or McDonald's. Essentially it's the same thing. A little bit of variability, right? Uh, The Moderna vaccine used different combinations of oils and sugars for that ability to kind of hold the genetic material in, a little bit differently than uh, Pfizer's, which allows Moderna to be more stable at freezing temperatures that are more in accordance with the typical freezers you have in your own or a physician may have in their clinic and so forth. Pfizer's a little bit more unstable, so you need much more aggressive uh, temperatures and so forth. uh, Johnson & Johnson's, is different. Different vaccine technology here, right? The other two use this, as we discussed, right? You kind of inject the genetic code and you get the result. Here, the technology is different, but it's not new to some extent. So what they do with the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine is they take another virus, a different virus, a virus that usually in human beings causes nothing more than the common cold. But in this case, It's not even one for humans. It's one that um, really infects or really causes more dire issues with different mammals. Nothing to do with humans. So if we ever get it, nothing will happen. However, we can use it to help us deliver a coronavirus protein, kind of like a messenger, right? So we use this virus to act as a messenger, delivering a spike protein protein, right? Sorry for the two proteins allowing our body to recognize a protein and begin to make antibodies. So that's it. In the adenovirus, uh, in this uh, version of the, vi- uh, the vaccine, the technology here uses a virus that will do nothing to humans to act as a messenger to display the spike protein to our bodies. Our bodies recognize the spike protein and begin to form antibodies there. Now with the phase one and phase two trials, Always keep in mind that these trials, their purpose is to recruit usually very healthy people in order to find the right dose of the vaccine to get that immune response that we want. And then, that's usually phase one, and then phase two, we recruit a little bit more healthy volunteers and so forth to to keep trying out that dose that we discovered in phase one. And so that may not be, uh, maybe it's new or maybe not, but recognize that vaccines, just like a medication, right, you need a specific dose. Meds, you know, if you've ever taken, for instance, Tylenol, you know, do we do 250 milligrams, 500 milligrams? How much do you need to take the, to get the outcome that you want? Vaccines go through the same thing. How much, uh, how much of the vaccine do we administer to get the response we want without a lot of side effects? So phase one reviews that extensively, phase two proves what we proved in phase one with a little bit larger sample size. And then phase three, this is where you recruit thousands upon thousands of people. And ideally you're recruiting people who look like the individuals ravaged by the disease you're trying to stop. So that's what Pfizer and Moderna did, as we heard Dr. Bumpus a few weeks ago, discuss how 10%, recruit, 10% of uh, patients in phase three trials were African American and 25% were Hispanic Latino in both trials, both Moderna and Pfizer. So, Johnson & Johnson, different vaccine technology, but again, it's still, we're, hoping, we're waiting for the phase three trial data and hoping it still gets us the same outcome that Moderna and Pfizer do with regards to 94 95% efficacy to prevent COVID-19. It's a one-shot vaccine, which is great. That means you can clear your schedule after you get it, and not having to uh, rebook a follow-up in three to four weeks. And at the same time, the phase one and phase two trial data is incredibly promising. This is great. And so when phase three data becomes available, I promise you I will sit down and review it like we did with Moderna and Pfizer and let you all know what we've learned from it. One thing I always say, if you ever want to read Moderna's testimonials that they gave to um, uh, Congress and to the FDA, what I love about Moderna and Pfizer is, is maintaining that transparency. It, it's not unique, we all, all scientific data does. But Moderna on page 54, if you ever turn to it, talks about serious adverse events. There was only three that they documented, and all three had nothing to do with the actual vaccine. Case in point, one of the patients suffered a bad heart rhythm after being struck by lightning. They documented that, and I say this because whenever we discuss safety, even if it's not related to the medical intervention, we need to document it and show it to the people who are going to review it, so then they can ultimately approve us for the uh, medical intervention. So again, Johnson & Johnson, phase one, phase two trials published, phase three hopefully coming at the uh, end of January, beginning of February. Hopefully we'll have a, that approved by sometime in February and have a third uh, vaccine group ready to go, it's a one-shot vaccine. Different technology, right, uses a a messenger virus to display the protein. But vaccine technologies, think of them like transportation. You all can get to Washington, D.C. by car, train, or even a plane. Still get there, still get the outcome that you want, regardless of the modality. So, with that said, let me stop here, right, giving you guys that update, and I'll keep you guys updated as well, all the community leaders, as we hear more and more from Johnson and Johnson and anything else COVID-19 related, but now I want to pause because I'm sitting here as a big fan of our next guest. We always try to bring you some of the best and brightest people, and you know, a good portion of the time these best and bright people also have the best heart where they realize that the mission that they're doing for science and medicine is really to promote public health. So Kimberly, I'm turning it over to you to uh, present us Dr. Jackie Jennings.
0: Thank you Dr. G. And again, as, um, as you just said, our guest speaker for today is Dr. Jackie Jennings, Director of Center for Child and Community Health Research and Professor of Pediatrics and Epidemiology. Welcome, Dr. Jennings. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I
0: appreciate it. I have heard you speak a, s- a number of times with our summer scholars, so it's always a pleasure to hear you. And uh, oh, thank, thank you. you. So, um, before we begin, begin, would you kind of briefly introduce yourself and um, and the work that you do?
2: I would be delighted, thank you, and uh, thank you for the um, wonderful introduction, Dr. G. Uh, you cued me up, and what you can't see is that I'm blushing. <laughs> so, uh, no worries, Dr. Jackie. Fauci, <laughs> Dr. Fauci is a is a giant, uh, and has only increased in his. Giantness uh, recently. So um, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, and I'm thankful for that. Um, so again, thank you for letting me join your gathering. I'm, I'm very happy to share any knowledge that I can, and I'm happy to take questions. I know you have a, a mechanism to do that. I'll share a little bit more about myself, since uh, you all likely don't know me. Uh, so again, my name is Jackie Jennings. I um, Grew up in New York, but had landed in the great city of Baltimore in 1997, and have uh, declared this a place where I live, love, work, and play. I raised two children here, and they go to city schools. I have a daughter who's a senior at um, Baltimore Polytechnic Institute, uh, and a son who is at the Roland Park Elementary Middle School. He's 13. Uh, and my training is in, so I am I'm first a social and infectious disease epidemiologist. I was trained at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Uh, I really am fascinated by infectious diseases and specifically trying to understand uh, transmission uh, dynamics in order to prevent and control uh, an infectious disease. And I work closely with the Baltimore City Health Department for about 20 years, And in the interest of specifically trying to bring evidence, either that we have generated or that others have generated, to public health practice. So looking to bring that evidence into public health practice and then test whether it's effective or not. Uh, My particular area of research has been in HIV and in sexually transmitted infections, uh, and so that is just some of the expertise that I, that I bring uh, to bear and a little bit about myself. And I should also mention I'm the daughter of an immigrant. My mother is a Chilean from South America, and she actually lives in Santiago de Chile. Uh, so that is part of who I am. Uh, and it's really, again, a delight to be with you. Uh, and then I'm happy to answer questions, Kimberly.
0: Great. Thank you so much for sharing your background. I appreciate that. So, yeah, let's just dive in. Um, So how many people in Baltimore are currently or have previously been infected with the SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 virus?
2: Great. And actually, before I begin, I wanted to – so Dr. G mentioned uh, some forums that are upcoming, some important upcoming events for more information. And I also wanted to add to that list, there's a community forum with Dr. Kizmekia Corbett. And uh, she was the lead or she goes sometimes by Dr. Kizzy. She was the leading scientist for the development of the COVID-19 vaccines as a part of the Operation Warp Speed. She is dynamic and incredible. And she is coming uh, to a community forum here January twelve, I should say virtually, uh, on January 27th from 1 to 2.30 P.M. And if you're interested in, in that forum. Uh, and, and the Reverend Deborah Hickman will also be a part of that forum, uh, you can go to the Urban Health Institute website to find out more and how to register. But it is free and online. Uh, so in terms of, so Dr. G gave some, some great updates about the state of the pandemic here in the U.S. and in Maryland and in Baltimore City. I'll just build on, on Dr. G's report out or update. Uh, To say that we're certainly not out of the woods, and probably many of you have experienced that, Uh, we have experienced an increase of 6% in cases from four weeks ago. And uh, the latest seven-day average of daily new cases is 232.3 new cases a day. So we are not out of the woods, Um, but I am hopeful with all the new uh, vaccines that are coming out and the implementation that we are going to start to turn a corner. Um.
0: Thank you. And, and oh. thank you for sharing about that, um, Dr. Corbett. I do believe I saw something, so I'll be sure to um, pass that along with my all the other amazing events that are going on. Right now, so Thank you. Um, Kimberly, yeah. oh, can I interrupt one yeah.
1: quick second? Sorry, we're going a little off script. Uh, Dr. Jennings, um, and by the way, first of all, I want to Thank you for taking the time to introduce yourself so much. Some of our speakers have done that, but the fact that you gave personal information to, as well—just hopefully you, you recognize—you've joined this family now officially, and we love that. Mm-hmm. So we can. Love you're me. not just you're not you're Dr. <laughs> Jennings, but you're like also just Jackie to us now. <laughs>
0: yes, I am Jackie for sure.
1: <laughs> um, is there, and I, uh, is your the Baltimore City data that you just provided? Is there? Off the top of your head, do you know if you compare this to New York or Chicago or Little Rock, Arkansas, do you know if those numbers sound on par with these other metropolitan cities or is, is Baltimore per capita doing better, same or worse or every city's kind of doing the same? Do you have any insight to that? I apologize for the curveball question. If you don't, no, no. don't worry.
2: No, no, not at all. I'm, I'm happy to take that question. So in general, I mean, the good news there, the, the sort of guiding or the beacon of light, um, besides Amanda Gorman, who's just a beacon. Anyway, I won't digress. Um, Baltimore in general has done very well. Uh, there has been progressive leadership in terms of ensuring that there are policies in place to increase the likelihood of, of minimizing transmission. So if you look at magnitude, for example, the total number of cases, uh, whether it 's daily, whether it 's a seven day average or whether it 's total cumulative cases, we have many, many fewer than, for example, New York City, and of course, New York City was all across the news early. I mean the travesty that happened. Uh, we have not seen such, uh, such a magnitude of cases in Maryland. I believe currently we're, at, we're the third highest county, uh, so we still are at risk. But again, uh, there have been progressive policies that have really helped to protect us, uh, and really it's all the, the citizens and the residents of Baltimore that have, that have you know, done their part to minimize transmission. So we're in a, we're in a much better place than we could be. Is, is the the bottom line. We certainly don't look like LA either, or like uh, several weeks ago or a couple months ago, Wisconsin. Uh, we did see a, a great increase among rural areas a couple months ago, and then now we've seen a resurgence in other other urban areas like LA. And and I think the message there is just maintain vigilance, keep up the good fight. Um, and the, the hope is around the corner, but we have to still uh, maintain vigilance because we are not out of the woods.
1: No, thank you, Dr. Jennings. Um, and thank you so much. I was just, we get that question asked pretty frequently on these calls. Um, so have, hearing that from experts like you uh, means a lot. Um, and to our listeners, Dr. Jennings just emphasized the same thing we've been do- saying. Don't take your foot off the pedal without hygienic interventions. Keep doing them. Glad that there's a vaccine, but as, as one of our listeners once emailed us, you, you can't get it if you've passed away. So please continue doing mm-hmm. what you guys are doing. Back mm-hmm. over to you, Kimberly, yeah. for, the next talking, uh, for the next question. Uh,
0: thank you both. So as far as testing, um, whether we're experiencing symptoms or maybe possible exposure or even asymptomatic, where is testing available for, for us yes. at
2: So, we've all really turned our attention and focus uh, to vaccines, and I will talk more about that, uh, just as Dr. G shared with us, the new updates on Johnson & Johnson. But I I did want to talk a little bit uh, and get back to the idea of testing, because testing is still important. It's vital for prevention and control of transmission, in other words, to stop the spread of more cases. Uh, So, one of the questions is, you know, who should get tested, and certainly, uh, as you're all likely aware, any individual who's showing symptoms, or any individual who suspects an exposure, or has heard that they have been exposed, including those uh, individuals that are not showing symptoms. And I know the symptoms are hard. You know, uh, maybe during this pandemic time period, we've all felt for a moment, uh, "Gosh, I don't feel quite so well," or "I have a little bit of a cough," or you know, it's it's difficult to tell. But um, so. So in abundance of caution, just go get tested. And fortunately, we are in a better place with testing. That's been a landscape that has been very challenging as our public health uh, officials and government tried to ramp up testing as quickly as they could. Um, It has been challenging, but fortunately things are getting better. So other people that, that should be tested include those that are at risk for exposure, uh, many of those individuals include workers that have frequent contact with the public, in, such as in health care, in emergency services, in grocery stores, supermarket stores, in retail, manufacturing, public transport, education, or other settings where they come into contact with groups of individuals. Some of those groups we call essential workers, you know, those individuals who who had to go to work and have had to continue to go to work, and certainly they're at greater risk. Also, individuals who have been in large gatherings. Greater than 10 is one uh, is one definition of a large gathering, and there's other definition that's greater than 25. Um, or, or individuals who have traveled recently. They should also be tested. There are many places to be tested. Uh, across Maryland, the current uh, Maryland uh, public health website says there are hundreds of places and you can actually look at a map on uh, where these testing locations are. In Baltimore City, uh, my place of, of residence and home, is uh, there are 16 sites currently listed on the Baltimore City Health Department website. And these vary from being public sites like the convention center, or they can be hospitals or other medical facilities. They can include pharmacies like CVS uh, or urgent care centers. And there are some neighborhood mobile-based testing uh, uh, options as well. And they also vary by what types of tests they're offering. For example, whether they offer a rapid test uh and the modalities, whether the test is drive-through or whether you need to schedule an appointment. And and on the Baltimore City website it tells you these characteristics, whether you need, for example, an appointment or whether you can just go, for example, at the Rotunda um, in in north of slightly north of Hamden maybe it is the Hamden neighborhood there is an urgent care center that you can go at any time you don't need an appointment there are other places you have to make an online appointment first Uh, there are there are also differences in costs some sites have free tests available and others uh, you may need health insurance or a copay so baltimore city keeps this information updated on its website including locations Hours of operation and requirements, and that is uh, the the website is coronavirus.baltimorecity.gov, and then you'll see a tab there that specifically says testing.
0: Thank you, Dr. Jennings, and um, and you had mentioned um, different types of tests as far as whether they're drive-through or make an appointment, but the, are there more than one kind? Other than I, I know I've heard about like the the swab tests. Um, are there multiple kinds of tests?
2: Yes. So there are, there are, and maybe you've already discussed this on a prior call, but there, there are two main types of tests for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, and they include viral tests and antibody tests. And viral tests inc- are also called molecular or PCR tests, and they tell you whether you're currently infected Uh, And these tests are designed uh, to look for evidence of the virus using a nasal or throat swab, and some even have saliva-based collection at this point. Now, there is some temporal variability. For example, if you are exposed, if I'm exposed today, for example, I might not test positive right away. But uh, my likelihood for then, if I am indeed positive, uh, increases um, after right after exposure. So 24 hours later, uh, I am more likely to test positive and 48 hours, but you should get tested right away. Uh, And then there are antibody tests that are mostly blood-based tests. And these tests, I'm sure you've read about, heard in the news, they tell you whether you have been infected in the past. Um, So both are very important, and they tell us both what the burden of infection has been, for example, in an area or for an individual, but they also can tell us currently who is infected. And that's important for, to, to minimize transmission.
1: Oh, I wanna add one comment to Dr. Janning's uh, explanation to our listeners that um, if, you, if you encountered where you believe would raise your probability of catching the virus and you go and get a test and it's negative, Exactly what Dr. Jennings said, right? It's all about probability and when you got mm-hmm. tested. And the analogy yeah. I tend to give is think of a pregnancy test, right? If there's a high chance someone is pregnant and the test is negative, if you wait a day or two, it's likely to become positive just because of the uh, hormones that are continuing to rise, and the test can finally detect that. So if you have a high suspicion, right, you were with someone who, sorry for this visual, like just coughed in your face and, mm-hmm. you, and you found out they had COVID, oh. Right, If that test comes back negative, talk to your healthcare provider and say, should I go get a second one or a third one? Because if there's such a high risk, I wouldn't put that much stock in the first uh, negative test. Just, just like yeah, now I do the pregnancy test. Right, If it's negative, but high probability, and you test it again, th- there you go. It's just timing. Sometimes timing's is the reason why these tests are negative to begin with. Back to Dr. Jennings and Kimberly.
2: No, that's a great point, Dr. J. I'm so glad you you added that. And then I would I would also build on your comment to say that again, if you think there's a high likelihood of um, of your infection, uh, don't take the test as as the holy grail. You should work. You should behave with an abundance of caution. So still maintain all the safety uh, precautions. Um, to, to protect those around you, to protect your loved ones. Uh, so you should work under a, an abundance of caution and, uh, and then you may get retested, but uh, ensure quarantining and uh, minimizing contact with others or having no contact with others. So I think that's a, that's a super important, um, that no test is absolutely perfect. Um, so we have to use our
1: best judgment. Thank you, Dr. Jennings. Great points, great points. Back to you, Kimberly.
0: Thank you. So, so, Dr. Jennings, you talked about, you know, who should get tested and where, but what might influence someone to get tested or not get tested, um, you know, if there's any fears, anxieties, or any other reasons they may not want to get tested?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're all individuals, and we've all had different lived experiences, uh, and certainly we also carry the lived experiences of our loved ones, of our family members and friends. So uh, some people, for example, my son has um, a fear of needles, and I think he also has a, a strong vagus nerve reaction. So when, he, when I take him to get a flu shot, uh, he sometimes passes out. Uh, because of his fear and anxiety, um, and also probably a, a biological reaction that's going on inside of him. So w- we all may have different, uh, different reactions and or different fears, and all of those are completely uh, natural. Um, so, so those are certainly challenges. Uh, they, people may also fear testing because they're worried about the result. If they were to be positive, what does that mean? Do they have to isolate? Might they miss work? Uh, uh how would they manage child care or they might fear medical costs or um, how it might affect their medical records you know there are lots of reasons um, and then there may be a- also other reasons in that access is challenging and again it, this may be related to lived experiences with prior prior healthcare care uh, access and you and certainly again the landscape with testing has just like w- we're seeing with the implementation of vaccinations has been challenging uh, as, our, as our wonderful public health uh, workers and government have been trying their best, but um, there have been challenges. So, so there can be issues with access in terms of difficulty of scheduling, difficulty getting to, to a clinic if you have to go there, so transportation, who is going to take care of your children if you can't bring them, those kinds of things. Um, so many people face different types of challenges Uh, Hopefully, some of those are surmounted by the avenues that are available. I will mention that there are emerging more and more home-based testing kits that can help uh, with some of these issues, for example, transportation. Um, So there are more and more options available.
0: And I'm also wondering, Dr. Jennings, do you think there's any stigma that is associated with folks maybe afraid if they did do it, will people think maybe they weren't doing their part or, or anything of that sort.
2: Oh, absolutely, and we have seen that, um, and I, I I've seen it among so many people, myself included. The the worry, the fear that oh, if I were positive, you know, what does what are people going to think of me, um, and and you know the ostracization. So I, I think that's a real issue. That's a real issue with many, many different uh, infectious diseases and other chronic, chronic diseases. Uh, so you know, I think the only way to combat that is with kindness, that we, that we all you know, promote kindness among one another and understanding. And, and the other is that you never know where you might have gotten infected. Uh, so we, we shouldn't jump to conclusions that it, it could be from many different sources. So, But it is, a, it is a de- Kimberly, I'm very glad you brought it up. It's definitely a challenge and something that uh, we all have to just uh, consider um, in, as part of
1: the, the landscape. And uh, I want to add to that, Dr. Jennings, I, I, you know, I know you've talked about Fauci's giant shoulders, but this is where I think you play such a pivotal role in this conversation about stigma. Because um, this, this concern about testing and positive and, like, like, I don't understand it. What did I do wrong? I have a great colleague. He's a dental hygienist. He tested positive for COVID. And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, I've been the one preaching about face masks, like yelling at my neighbors for their parties and so forth. And there is stigma. And we shouldn't stigmatize people. Because we're all doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can. It's just this virus, is, it's hard to contain. We recognize that. And so the reason why I say you're such an amazing person to talk about this is you spent your career around diseases that carry stigma altogether, right? As you mentioned earlier, um, with her work in uh, sexually transmitted infections, they carry tons of stigma. And, you know, you and Dr. Fauci, who worked with HIV, like, I'm sitting here and, like, the the best people to combat this aren't just infectious disease specialists, but those who work around things that have such great stigma that keep people from sharing information or going to get testing, So Mm. I I, I just want to emphasize the words of wisdom uh, to the community listening, write them down. Like we can't judge or stigmatize people because of the COVID findings and testing, because that will not promote health. It will prevent it. It will be act as a barrier in of itself. Um, So with that said, Dr. Jennings, I want to see if you have any last few words of the lessons you learned from those other viruses and infections, any words of wisdom to our community leaders about how they themselves can help fight stigma and judgment around COVID testing, especially if it comes out positive?
2: Yeah, my, my only answer to that, it's a, it's a deep uh, problem, and I suppose my only answer is empathy and kindness is remembering that we're all humans and uh, we're all you know, on this earth together. Uh, so sort of going back to that sen- essential feeling uh, and putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, I did want to share just a very, I couldn't help but remind you, your, your dental hygienist neighbor, friend, colleague, uh, reminded me of the first time very early on in the pandemic, I had a dentist appointment, I believe it was in April. So I went to the dentist and went through all the protocols of, of uh, face mask and calling before I went in and and I arrive in the dentist chair, and the dental hygienist comes in, and she says, you can take off your mask now. And my eyes must have dropped out of my, <laughs> my eyeball sockets. I said, what? I, I can't take my mask off. She said, you can take your mask off now. And I suddenly had this realization. I was at the dentist. I had to take my mask off. <laughs> so it was, I was this momentary crazy realization. But, uh, no,
1: of yeah. course. Of so course. I'm
2: starting is, yeah. <laughs>
1: No, thank you for that, Dr. Jennings. Thank you for that. Back to you, Kimberly. I'm sorry. I, I have to add these questions because we have, you know, Dr. Jennings, you have so much knowledge to provide to our community leaders that I want to make sure we get the full, the, everything you have to offer. So thank you for those comments and being kind transcends all specialties. That is part of being human, but we can't let that up at any point. I love that emphasis. Thank you. Mm. Over to you, Kimberly.
0: Thank you both. So, um, kind of moving um, ahead with um, the talk on vaccines. So with the vaccines becoming available, why is it important to continue testing efforts in Baltimore?
2: I'm so glad you asked that question, Kimberly, because th- this is uh, something that I worry about that keeps me up at night is uh, the idea that uh, people will let their guard down after uh, vaccinations and uh, even with the vaccine testing, will remain important. Um, Vaccinating people, first of all, is taking, as we've already seen, is taking time. And not everybody will be vaccinated. Children, for example, will not be vaccinated for quite some time. They were not included as part of the clinical trials, only uh, 16 and older for one of the vaccine trials. Um, And then, as we know, it will just take a while to get everybody vaccinated. We also don't know, even for those who are vaccinated, we do not yet know the durability or how long immunity will last. There is some interesting data coming out on this. Uh, So there have been few reports of reinfections, just few, which I'm happy to report, and there is some interesting data coming out to suggest there is uh, longer-term immunity, but the the jury's still out on that, and so we really don't know yet. And at a city, state, and national level, testing informs policymakers about the continued transmission that is ongoing and how to manage that, how it's impacting real people and communities. And it helps inform the decisions uh, related to to continuing policies or budgeting or resource allocation. And then uh, it's important to note, and likely, again, you've covered this on a call, that the, the outcomes for the vaccine trials were really focused on minimizing severe and mortality from infection with SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19. So what they didn't, Moderna had some information on this as a part of their trials, but what they were not focused intently on initially, this data will come out as they uh, continue to follow people, um, was not focused on seeing whether vaccinated individuals could still transmit so what we know is that it protects individuals from severe symptoms and or mortality but what we don't know is can they still get infected and can they still transmit to other people so that just uh uh sort of reinforces the importance of maintaining um, oh and the other thing so i just heard this the other day the the as an important little uh mantra if you will so if I get vaccinated, uh, so by wearing a face, so this, you've probably heard this related to face masks. When I wear a face mask, um, I am protecting others from, if I am infected. So I am, I am minimizing the likelihood that I will transmit. Uh, so really I'm protecting others when I wear a face mask. It's not as much about protecting myself. Similarly with vaccines, I am helping the community in general and I'm protecting myself from severe disease, but I still possibly can transmit to others. So, again, we just have to ensure that we maintain uh, the abundance of caution and particularly before we're able to vaccinate uh, upwards of 65 to 70% of the population.
0: Thank you, Dr. Jennings. Um, And I know we've discussed this a a little bit earlier today and in previous calls, but could you just reiterate what vaccines are currently available and where we can get them? Yeah.
2: So if you've covered it, I won't go too deeply. Uh, You've probably already seen that uh, the city in general and the state of Maryland is following the – has a vaccine distribution schedule that's informed by the CDC uh, and, and uh, led by, uh, DACA, um, by Governor Hogan. And currently we're in, of course, this, this is moving, so we're constantly listening for updates. This is uh, also a moving landscape. We're currently in Phase 1B, and, uh, and then we move to Phase 1C, and you can see the definitions for all of these on also on the City Health Department website. There's another tab that talks about vaccines, But we move to Phase 1C Monday, January 25th, and that is when uh, we move to a phase where adults ages 65 and older may get vaccinated, uh, as well as people in certain jobs. For example, teachers are starting to get vaccinated as they uh, try to bring students back to Baltimore City public schools. Uh, People uh, for the eligibility criteria of Phase 1 can call or complete an internet form to register for the vaccine. So again, I I would point you to the baltimorecity.gov website and that provides some helpful information. And then I would just also caution that uh, you have to go with a a bit of patience because as you can imagine, our public health uh, workers, our dedicated public health workers are struggling to keep up with all the changes. So Hogan may announce a change, and yet and then it takes a little while for the updates to trickle down to all of the different websites uh, and give clear and consistent information. So I've seen those those websites changing almost daily. I can only imagine the work that's going on behind the scenes, besides all the work that's going on to deliver to deliver that vaccine, uh, the vaccination to the most important individuals. Um, I myself, you know, have a set of elders that I've been uh, watching, and it makes me emotional to even talk about it, but that I've been watching and, and helping to send, and they're, in, they're, they're um, distributed in different states, all are in the Northeast, but sending them sort of weekly information about uh, what are the updates on vaccinations. Uh, many of them, my father, for example, is 89 years old. He lives in Suffolk County, New York, which had a, a very... Uh, High case count, and, you know, very strong uh, epidemic at one point. Um, and so I'm hopeful that he will be able to get vaccinated soon. Uh, but the rollout has been a little bit slow in New York as well.
1: And uh, Dr. Jennings, what you just commented on, and uh, your, your tone of being a daughter is palpable. Um, and I imagine many of our community leaders feel that too. Um, I, uh, I cried uh, on Wednesday when I got my 80-year-old father um, his dose of Moderna here at Hopkins Bayview. Oh, um, you, 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 you know, we, you know, you started off this call with us, uh, to Kimberly and I, and to our listeners, uh, essentially introducing yourself as Jackie, part of our community family. And, um, just you also bringing up that point, um, to all the listeners, you know, uh, while we, uh, come at you all as doctors and scientists and nurses, um, we're still daughters and brothers and, and, uh, sons. So, uh, you know, uh, Um, And we we, we are all trying to do our best at a time like this. And so um, our community leaders uh, listening to this call, I imagine Dr. Jennings, uh, are uh, thankful to hear your also uh, concerns about rollout. uh, And hopefully in the next few weeks, we we make this system work for, you know, the loved ones that we want to protect. So thank you, Dr. Jennings.
0: Yeah, for all. Right. Yeah. No, thank you.
1: Kimberly, over to you.
0: Yeah, there's, um, and I apologize if if you don't have an, an answer to this, but there's you know a lot of questions that I've gotten from the community as far as the selection. You know, when we entered phase one B, and say there are two people in a household, one you know is 85 and the one is 87, and the 85 year old who's healthy is is mm. able to make an appointment, but the 87 year old. Um, who has um, a chronic illness or autoimmune disease has not yet been available. Do you are you able to share um, how kind of that process goes? Just to kind of clarify some of those unanswered questions. Yeah,
2: I'm, unfortunately, I can't answer that. Other okay. than uh, other than, I think the the individuals the dedicated souls that are part of the teams working to on implementation. I mean, I, so I'll step back for a second and say we've we really um, lacked a federal response that has helped coordinate and implement uh, a vaccine rollout. Uh, we got to this place with now with, importantly, with vaccines, but we need a clear plan for the vaccine rollout. And so that has been, it's really rested on the shoulders of states and local jurisdictions uh, to conduct to, to, excuse me to conduct this rollout uh, under already taxing uh, circumstances where they were first struggling to roll out testing, so I think you know it 's been very challenging for so many people and and for all the dedicated souls I, that have been out working uh, day uh, day over day to to both implement the testing and vaccine, my heart goes out to them, and I'm thankful. I think this, what we're seeing now is just a massive challenge in trying both that relate to uh, supply chain issues, as we also saw with testing. So are there enough vac- vaccines available? And we've seen that in some cases there are, and the rollout hasn't been fast enough. Uh, but, I think we can all imagine all of the challenges in trying to roll out a system to vaccinate every single person uh, in our in our locations in the places we live, and just um, just how challenging that must be so I, I would just say that I have great empathy for all those individuals. I am super thankful for the work that they're doing for all of us and that we all have to have a bit of patience, although I can also understand our, our collective frustration as we have been caring for and caretaking, um, particularly our elders or our more vulnerable individuals that we have really been worried about for the last nine months uh, longer, um, that it's just the worry is, it's hard to maintain.
0: Thank you. Um, so my last question is, what is being uh, currently done to address um, some gaps in information to um, and improve testing accessibility and acceptability in Baltimore? And are there any studies that are looking into this?
2: Uh, so, so thank you also for that question. Uh, I, along with Two colleagues from uh, Jason Farley, who is in the School of Nursing, and Shruti Mehta, who is also an infectious disease epidemiologist and the uh, Deputy Director of the Department of Epidemiology in the Bloomberg School of Public Health, are leading a, a study to better understand testing barriers and facilitators among individuals in Baltimore City uh, it is designed to be a population representative study so that we can hear all voices across the city and that we're not just hearing from some people. And um, we look to learn much more about what is acceptable to different people for different reasons so that tests can become, uh, as we continue to need to test, that and for now and for the future, that the modalities of testing, the barriers to testing can be surmounted, particularly for those uh, for those groups, those populations in Baltimore City that have been severely impacted. Um, and so what I would put a plug out there to this group uh, is if you hear about the study, so it's called the C Forward Study, Community Collaboration to Combat COVID-19. We uh, will be recruiting selected individuals, so you, if you receive a postcard or a letter, or if you wouldn't mind sharing with your constituents the fact that this study is ongoing and that we are looking to learn so that we can better improve public health practice, uh, that would be wonderful. You
1: no, know, uh, uh, Dr. Jennings, uh, all very important messaging, and um, Kimberly and I will make sure that the work that you all are doing um, is shared with our community listeners, and uh, in turn, they can share with their respective communities and reach um, everyone that we can here in Baltimore City. So, you know, thank you, like my friend, you, you uh, who, you, uh, not that you would ever disappoint, but you came uh, ablazing with your public health messaging, great insight to the community, and the ability for you to just also come across as a human, not just a scientist, and so forth. Just only only Dr. Jennings can pull it off, in addition to Dr. Fauci. So. Um, you you you're getting your own giant shoulders um thank you for that i uh, truly appreciate it and uh, our community listeners i know are blessed for having you in for this hour and uh, i know they feel probably much more prepared in order to help uh, promote health and prevent disease in this pandemic um so thank you for that and i'm going to turn it over to kimberly i think um kimberly always gets the final words before our transition to to uh, prayer so over to you kimberly
0: Thank you, Dr. G. And again, thank you very much, um, Dr. Jennings. It was a pleasure having you um, on the call this morning, and and thank you so much for sharing such valuable information. It's always a pleasure hearing you.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Um, And yes, um, before I turn the call over to Reverend Teague, please join us again for our next COVID-19 Community Partners call, Friday, January 29th at 11 a.m., Our guest speaker will be Dr. Sharita Golden, Professor of Medicine and Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Um, We did get a few questions from the community about um, suggestions for older adults who are unable to get an appointment. So we will further discuss that next week on Friday. And also, Dr. G., you had um, mentioned to our listeners last week that I was going to get my first dose of um, Moderna, which I did and as Dr. G has always shared his transparency. So yes, I did get that. Um, Some mild side effects that did go away within four or five hours um, and I was back on my bike that evening. So I, I wanted to share that with everyone.
1: Awesome, Kimberly. Thank you for sharing that. And by the way, when Kimberly, when you say bike, you don't bike to work, right? This is a stationary bike.
0: No, no, that would take me probably a day to get here. No, that was a stationary bike that I, I got for myself for for New Year's to get back in the in the groove. So yeah.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Great. Right. Thank you, Kimberly. Back to you.
0: Yeah. And and now for those who would like to stay on the call, Reverend Teague will offer closing thoughts and a prayer
3: um thank you kimberly and uh and dr g and uh thank you again for just a wonderful um, informational session i always I just always appreciate this so much um, so this is a prayer that um, i it came to me this week um, from Reverend heather Hinton and I liked it so much it's called uh, she named it a blessing as we Receive coronavirus vaccine and um it just really struck me as a, as so apropos for this time for all of us. So I'd like to share her prayer with you today. So let us pray. Dear one, how brave you have been. Ten months of exhausting work, family challenges, fear and worry, death and loss and grief. Ten months of showing up day after lengthy day, faithfully offering the gift of yourself in service to others. And now the day has finally arrived. At long last, the vaccine is here. We're turning a corner, darkness to light, despair to hope, illness to healing, isolation to companionship, sorrow to joy. Yes, we have still a ways to go. COVID is with us. We will still grieve. We will still feel tired. We still have work to do. But time and again, you have proven this truth. You are brave. Today we join our hearts in hope that the vaccine will provide physical protection, that you will receive the comfort and strength you need, and that you will know that the light has dawned. Today is a good day, a joyous day, and may it be a day that gives you hope. Amen. Thank
0: you, Reverend Teague, and thank you, everyone, for joining today. Um, have a great weekend and be safe. Thank you.
3: We're sorry, your conference is ending now. Please hang on.